0: I've wasted it. John Piper tells the story of his father, who was an evangelist, preaching at a Baptist church decades ago. And when his father gave the invitation, a very elderly gentleman came forward, took his hand and said, I need Jesus. They sat there right on the front pew and Piper's father led this gentleman to the Lord. He was gloriously saved. And the next thought on that man's mind, who had just met Jesus, was this. He looked back at his long life and said, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Now, I know that you and I are grateful that the mercy and grace of God is available to the very end. Amen? That someone can call on Jesus up to their last breath and experience His redemptive power. But oh, how we need to realize that God has given us one short life in which to live. And we don't want to find ourselves at the end of this life looking back saying, I've wasted it! I've wasted it! I've wasted it. In Ephesians 5 this morning, we're going to be encouraged and challenged to live in such a way that we don't waste our Lives. So keeping that in mind, look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 15. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse. This wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century to a group of Christians who were in the city of Ephesus there in Asia Minor. We've made our way all the way to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. 15, when you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Truth with no mixture of error. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Some translations say, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment to express once again our love and adoration for you. We worship you. You are the reason that we're here. You are the center of attention. And we pause in this moment to recognize how much we need you. Lord, we believe that all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. So as we study your word, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts... By the power of the Spirit of God. That we would understand your word and we would be be inclined to respond to your word. Lord, I pray that we would leave this room different today than when we walked in. We'll thank you for that grace. We love you. We praise you and thank you for the hope of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If I wanted to use one verse to sum up the second half of the book of Ephesians, I would point you to Ephesians 5, verse 8, where Paul writes, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In the first half of the book, Paul is explaining the glories of salvation. All that God gives us in Christ, our adoption, our reconciliation, the sealing of the Spirit, our redemption, our forgiveness, all that is ours in Christ. And now in the second half of the book, Paul is saying, now that you have received the grace of God in Jesus Christ, live like it. There ought to be a difference in the way that you live your life. You've been made light by God's grace. So walk in the light. And in verse 15, he wants to to really bear down on this point when he says, Look carefully then how you walk. Paul loves the metaphor of walking to speak of our manner of living. So when he says, Look carefully how you walk, he's saying, Look carefully how you live. In other words, he wants these believers in Ephesus, and by extension all of us today, he wants us to... To live in such a way that our life is not a wasted life. He wants us to maximize this opportunity that we have to live a life that honors and glorifies God and makes a difference. So he says there, look carefully or give attention to your walk, to your life. Because listen to me, the way you live your life matters. It matters. That's what Paul's after today, that we understand that it matters. And we don't waste our lives. And so, I want to encourage you to avoid a wasted life. And the question is, well, how? How ought we to live if we don't want to waste the life that God has given us? Three answers to that question. Number one, live wisely. Live wisely. Notice what Paul says there in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Give attention to how you walk, how you live. And he gives us a little bit more information in the next phrase. Not as unwise, but as wise. He's saying there if you're going to be careful about how you live, if you're going to be, going to be focused on living a life that matters, you need to live a wise life, not an unwise life. Now, If I had to define wisdom, I would give you this definition. Wisdom is insight into life, revealed by God. It comes from the heart of God and the mind of God. That should be acquired and, everyone say and, and acted upon. Wisdom is insight into life, revealed by God, that should be acquired and acted upon upon. Wisdom is discernment that helps you to know right from wrong and helps you to live according to that knowledge. Wisdom helps you to to stay on the godly path in life. Wisdom helps you to make good decisions, not destructive ones. Paul's saying you need to look carefully how you walk, carefully how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Wisdom is a big deal. Living according to wisdom is a big deal. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 14 and uh, three thirteen and 14, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for its profit. The profit of wisdom is better than the profit of silver and its gain than fine gold. In other words, it's more important that, that, that you have wisdom than you have money. It's a bigger deal for our spiritual journey. Its profit is greater. So how do we become more wise? How do we acquire and then act upon God's revealed wisdom? Let me give you five things just real quickly. Number one, and this is so simple but we need to say it, ask for it. Over in James 1.5, the Bible says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given him. I can't tell you how many times as, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, I've come to the end of myself and said, Lord, I need your Wisdom, help me, give me that wisdom. And the Bible promises that God will answer that prayer. Need wisdom? Ask. Ask God to give you that, that insight and discernment into life so you can act according to it. Ask for it. Number two, listen to rebukes. If you want to be a wise person, listen when someone speaks into your life. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son listens to his father's discipline, but a scoffer, a scoffer, does not listen to rebuke. In other words, a scoffer, and in the context of proverbs thirteen, an unwise person really has no concern about what others have to say about his life or her life. They, they scoff at at any advice, any insight, any anything that anyone has to say. they don't want to hear it, and the Bible says that that is not the way to wisdom. It's not very much fun to listen to rebuke, but here's the reality. Every single one of us have some spiritual blind spots. Can I get an amen? We have some things we just don't see as clearly as we need to, and sometimes it takes someone that loves the Lord and loves us speaking into our life to help us to see that blind spot so we can deal with it we need to listen to trusted godly people who may help expose those blind spots listen if i'm eating lunch with you and i've got mustard on my face please tell me tell me it'll be okay it may be an embarrassing awkward moment but i'll wipe it off and i'll be good to go and and listen we need folks who will tell us right When things are not like they ought to be in our lives, listen to rebuke. Number three, be humble enough to seek counsel. Proverbs 13, verse 10, Through presumption comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. You want to be wise? Ask some advice from people that love Jesus. Never make a big life decision without talking to some folks who are godly and who care about you run it by some godly people listen to counsel humble yourself and say hey i need some other people speaking into this issue number 4 walk with wise people this is one of my favorite verses to quote to my kids proverbs 13:20 says he who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will suffer Harm. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If you want to be wise, hang around with wise folks. And their wisdom will rub off on you. But if you walk with unwise folks, ungodly folks, guess what? They'll rub off on you too. And eventually they'll start pulling you in the wrong direction. So make it a priority to be around people who will, who will speak and inculcate wisdom into your life. Walk with wise people. We are without question influenced by those we spend a lot of time with. And then finally, if you want to grow in wisdom, it starts with fearing God. Fear God. Over in Proverbs 9, verse 10. And by the way, if you notice a, a pattern here the book of Proverbs, I'm quoting that a lot. So I, I add number six, read Proverbs if you want wisdom. But fear God. Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, you won't be humble enough to ask for help. You won't be humble enough to, to let people speak into your life, even with rebukes. You won't be humble enough to ask for wisdom if you don't fear God. Fear Him, reverence Him, stand in awe of Him. Put Him first in your life and that will begin to develop in your heart and your mind and your soul. This longing for wisdom so that you can please the God that you worship. Fear God. And there's other things we could say, but that's a good starting place. If you want to live a life that is not a wasted life, live wisely. Number two. How do you avoid a wasted life? Live urgently. Live urgently. Look what the Bible says back in Ephesians 5, verse 16. We should look carefully how we walk, observe how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. A couple things I want you to see here. First of all, I want you to see the mandate for urgent living. When he says there, making the best use of the time, the original Greek word there is the word redeem, or to buy back, or to buy. In fact, I think the King James Version has the phrase there, redeeming the time. And that is a, uh, an accurate translation of that word. And the word to buy time means to make the most of time. Now look there in verse 16, and let your eyes fall upon that word, time. Everybody see it? Now there are two Greek words that are translated by our English word, time. The first Greek word that is translated time is the word chronos, where we get the word chronology from. It's the word for clock time. It's the word where we look at a clock and say it is uh, Eleven ten, uh, It is, uh, you know, October 9th, 2022, 11 or whatever time it is, 11 11. And Kronos and, and is keeping track of our minutes and our hours and our days and our weeks. That, that's the word Kronos. That's not the word that he uses here. He doesn't say, make the most of your Kronos, your, your minutes and your hours. That's not what he's saying there. The Greek word translated time there is the Greek word kairos. And the word kairos denotes a measured, allocated, fixed season. And here in the original, there's a definite article, the, before the word kairos. The kairos. The season. So he's speaking here of a a fixed or measured period. I believe what he's talking about here is our lives. Because here's the deal. God has set boundaries to our lives. There was a day when we were born. We brought into this world that we call that what? Our birthday. And guess what? Should the Lord tarry, we're all going to die. Right? That'll bless you on a Sunday morning. And it gets even better. We're one day closer to death than we were yesterday. Right? That's that that word kairos. It's a fixed set of, a fixed uh, measured uh, time period with boundaries to it. And so our opportunity for serving Jesus, our opportunity for making a difference in the world around us, remember we talked last week about being light in the world, exists only within the boundaries of our fixed number of days. So that's the word kairos. The the time we have on this earth. And he says, make the most, redeem it. That, That word means that we're to buy up all of the time that we have and devote it to the Lord it's, an, op- it's a, an idiom that means take advantage of the time that you have. So, listen to me. Here in verse 16, Paul is saying much more than, hey, don't waste your minutes and your hours. Paul, Paul is saying here, don't waste your life. You only have one, it's really short, the end is approaching rapidly. Buy up that time. Make the most of that time. Reminds me of what Moses said over in the 90th Psalm, verse 12, when he said, Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Help us to understand the brevity of life, and then we'll present to you a heart of wisdom. Wisdom comes from knowing that life is not forever. It's, It's short, it's brief, and we need to... Take advantage of the time that we have. So there's the mandate for urgent living. Buy up the life that you're living. and Take advantage of it. But then there's a motivation for urgent living. Look what he says back in verse 16. Making the the best use of the time because, here's the motivation, the day's... Are, what's the word there? Evil. The days are evil. In other words, Paul is saying, as we live out this life, we are surrounded by fallenness. We are surrounded by a world that desperately needs Jesus. And in this life that God has given us, the fixed boundaries of our lives... We need to live in such a way that we can push back the darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Let your light shine. The days are evil. Listen, this fallen world needs you to make the most of your time for Jesus. To impact others around you. Our Lives influence others. And so Paul is in effect saying, there's no time to waste. It's evil out there. It's tough out there. You need to live for Jesus now. Don't get to the end of your life and say, I didn't even make a dent of impact on those who were around me. There's a mandate for holy living, there is a motivation or urgent living, and a motivation for urgent living. And and, and one of the, the best illustrations of this is the life and ministry of Jesus. I love reading the Gospels. In fact, I use a Bible reading plan every year. Uh, And I read from four different places every day in the Word of God, two Old Testament passages and two New Testament passages. And one of the reasons I love this Bible reading plan is because one of the New Testament passages is is always in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So every time I read my Bible, uh, in my time alone with God, I'm I'm reading a portion of one of the Gospels. And I love it because I had a professor in seminary tell me, "Hey, Hey, boys, read the Gospels a lot because that's your opportunity to walk around with Jesus. So when I'm reading the Gospels, I'm just walking around with Jesus and just observing his life, his teaching, his ministry, the difference that he made. And here's one thing you see as you read the Gospels. You just almost begin to sense this intuitively. Jesus is never in a hurry, but he's always urgent. He's never in a hurry, but he's always urgent. He's always urgent about following the Father's will. And because he's following the Father's will, he's not rushed and hurried and frenzied. He's moving with purpose. He's not missing opportunities to minister to those around him. In other words, Jesus is the perfect example, of course, of what it looks like to make the most of the time you've been given. To influence the evil around you. Jesus did that. And so I'm not asking you to you know, become a a better time manager and go get the newest productivity books from the bookstore. And I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, that you and I ought to have this, this desire, this mindset that we will take advantage of the days that God has given us. And we will live urgently. I love what Paul says over in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 he says to live is Christ now to die is gain if you die and go to heaven that's better than here but as long as you're here you might as well live for Christ. Amen? So how do I avoid a wasted life? Live wisely, live urgently but third and last live obediently live obediently. Look back in chapter 5 of Ephesians with me and Focus on verse 17. Therefore, a lot of what he's just said about making the most of, of your time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there are two, two major ways that the Bible uses the the. the the term will, in reference to God. And most of us think about kind of the first way. We think about what I'll call the particular will of God. So this is God's will. Uh, Where should I live? Should I buy this house? Should I take this job? Should I go to this college? You know, the will of God. And, and we spend a lot of time and focus on what's God's particular individual will for my life. And, and we ought to because the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that the Lord has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we should say, Lord, what are those good works you have for me? Guide me into those. Lead me. Show me your will for my individual life. And people are rightly so interested in the particular individual will of God for them. But there's another way that the Bible uses the phrase, the will of God. And this speaks of the moral will of God. Which means what God wants, or what God expects, or what God commands us to do. In other words, God gives us His commandments. So for example, I don't have to ask, should I lie about this? No, because the Bible says what? Do not... Lie, don't bear false witness, right? And, and we could go on and on with the, with the very clear commandments, the moral will of God. In other words, if we want to know what God's will is for our lives, read the Bible and just obey what He tells you to do. Because, because here's what I've seen. I've seen it in my own life, I've seen other people's lives. I've, I've counseled people through this. I, I see people sometimes that are hyper-focused on God's particular will for their lives while ignoring God's moral will for their lives. In other words, they're disregarding what God has clearly said in His Word. And they're saying, God, show me, should I, should I take this job? Should I, should I move to this house? Should I, should I uh, go to this school? Should I marry this person? And they're focused in on God's individual will while ignoring what God has clearly said in the Bible. And here in Ephesians 5 verse 17, it's as if the Lord is saying, if you'll focus in on the clear teachings of Scripture and just obey what I tell you in the Word, I'll show you the rest of it. But don't think you can ignore my moral will and I'll just show you my particular will for you. Do what I've told you to do. And so this speaks of God's commandments for our lives. And here's what it means to live obediently. With His help, because John 15, 5 says, apart from Him you can do nothing. With His help, do what God tells you to do. Obey the Word of God. And the question becomes, are there any areas of disobedience in your life that you need to address today? where you're clearly disregarding what God says and doing your own thing. And if there is an area of disobedience in your life, address it. Say, God, I'm sorry. That's not how I want to live. Cleanse me. Clean up my heart and now help me to obey. There are two types of disobedience, right? Right? There are sins of commission where we do things God's told us not to do, right? And there are sins of omission where we don't do things God's told us to do. So are there any sins of omission or commission in your life that the Holy Spirit is putting His finger on right now in your life? If if you want to make a difference in this world, if you want to Live in such a way that you don't waste your life. Obey God. Now look at me real quick. Look at me. 1 John chapter 5 tells us something very important about the commandments of God. The Bible tells us His commandments are not burdensome. He doesn't give us commandments to weigh us down and take away our fun. God made us. God knows what's best for us. And so God lays out a course through His commandments to help us to live a life that is maximum joy and purpose and meaning. His commandments are good. They're good for you. They are the pathway to true joy in this life. So do what God has told you to do. Live obediently. Just recently in my time alone with God, I've been reading through the Gospel of John. I just finished John chapter 2, and I, I love that story at the beginning of John chapter 2. The first sign of Jesus, where he begins to reveal the reality that the Messiah was, was near, the Messiah had come to this earth. He's at a wedding, a place called Cana of Galilee. Claire and I've been there. It's a small, beautiful little town. He was there celebrating with friends and family, and they went, ran out of the, the, the wine for the party. And, and somehow, Jesus' mother, Mary, gets involved. I don't know how she got involved, she got involved. And people are like, oh, we have all these guests, and we ran out of wine, and what are we going to do? And, and, and Mary turns to Jesus, and Jesus says, my time hasn't come. Are you really wanting me to do something about this? But Mary senses something in Jesus' tone. And so she looks at all the people who were mesmerized by the fact that they didn't have what they needed for the party. And she says to them, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And then Jesus gives them instructions. They fill up some water pots and then they have the The best wine for the end of the party, and the the the, uh, the the leader of the of the the household is is overwhelmed with joy by this, and it was just a, a miracle. Jesus showing his power. There's a lot of meaning in that miracle, but Jesus is showing his power. But listen to me, the reason they saw the miracle come to fruition is because they did what Jesus told them to do. They filled up the water pots just like he said, and Jesus turned the water in to wine. What's the takeaway from John chapter 2? What's the takeaway from his time in Cana of Galilee? When Jesus tells you to do something, listen, do it! And you just might see the power of God like you've never seen it before. Live obediently. So, my goal And I know your goal as well. Is that we avoid the cry of that elderly gentleman that I shared with at the beginning of the sermon. I don't want anyone in this room to get to the end of their life and look back and say, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted it by God's grace and through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, may we leave today living wisely, living urgently, living obediently. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.